Good morning, New City family. My name is Ashley Finters, and my family and I have been at New City for nine years now. And it is such an honor and privilege to be worshiping with you all this morning. But let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you as a desperate and needy people. Apart from you, there is no life, and you are the sustainer of all that is good. We confess to you that we often stray and seek to find fulfillment in all kinds of other things. Let your kindness lead us to repentance and forgive us for where we have strived to be in control, where we have followed the ways of the world and neglected the calling you have placed upon us. Holy Spirit, bring revival, hope, and healing. As we cling to you, pour out your love for the world through your church. Keep us close so that we may walk in your ways and show a hurting world the hope that only comes in the name of Jesus. Help us to live as people of mercy and compassion, offering to the world something they can't find anywhere else. May your light shine through us as we remain in you. This morning, I pray for those in this room today who are grieving and lonely. Lord, comfort them. For those who are struggling with addiction, encourage them and protect them, God. For those who are in seasons of transition, give them peace. For those who have financial stress or worry, remind them of your provisions and care. For those in need of healing, whether that is physical or emotional, Father God, heal and restore them. For those who are longing or waiting, fill them with your love. For those who are carrying around shackles of shame or resentment, have mercy and compassion and reveal your grace to them. Lord, we take a moment and lay our specific requests at your feet now. Father, you are a God who hears our prayers and meets us where we are. We love you and we worship you today. It's in your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, good morning, New City. Happy fourth holiday weekend. Um, I don't know what your holiday traditions look like. I love movies. One of my favorite movies is one called National Treasure. If you haven't seen it, I would recommend adding it to your uh, movie list. Uh, if you haven't seen it, Nicolas Cage plays a historian and a code breaker uh, named Bill Gates, or Ben Gates, sorry, not Bill Gates. That would be a different story. Uh, and, and Ben's been searching his whole life uh, for this rumored treasure dating back to the founding years of the United States. And so uh, throughout the movie, uh, Ben and his colleagues follow this trail of hidden clues um, throughout historical locations all over, the, all over the world. And they end up finding two things. First, they find a, a map, which 
seems like a useful thing to have if you're on a journey to find something. And the second thing that he finds is this intricately carved uh, meerschaum pipe, which is, while, while beautiful and cool, doesn't seem to be very practical. Well, the map leads Ben to this underground passage that ends at a locked door. And as uh, you watch the movie, he's in the tunnel with a torch and he brings a torch close to the keyhole and he slowly realizes that the keyhole is the shape of the Meerschaum pipe. And in that moment, as he realizes that he maybe has the key to everything he's been looking for in his pocket in this beautiful but useless pipe, he, he pulls the pipe out and he says, could it really be that simple? The pipe fits perfectly in the lock. He turns the key, the door opens, and the hidden treasure is found. Well, prayer, I want to submit to you today, is like um, that key, a simple thing that unlocks a treasure trove full of God's life and power into your life. And so today we're going to be continuing in our series on prayer, and we're going to ask the question, why pray? Why pray? Now, that might seem like a strange question, and maybe for some of you, um, that's a difficult question because maybe you've struggled to pray. And I I would raise my hand and say throughout my Christian journey, um, even recently, I I struggle to pray because it's not often a first thought. I, I have a problem in my life. I'm experiencing a tension in my life, a difficulty in a relationship, um, something that I can't solve. And, and my first reaction is to try to solve it myself, is to try to seek wisdom in the world. And so I struggle often um, to, for prayer to be the first thing in my life. And maybe you resonate with that. Maybe you struggle to pray. And, and maybe you're a person who's prayed, but things haven't turned out the way you imagined. And so you're disillusioned with prayer. Others of you, maybe prayer feels like a duty, something that you were brought up, uh, you know, this is a good thing you should do. You should pray at meals. You should pray at church. You should pray before ball games. But for you, it feels like a duty that's not really much practical good. Like that pipe may be a beautiful relic of the past, but of no practical benefit for you. And maybe for others of you, uh, you've learned to pray and you found great encouragement and joy in that part of your Christian journey. Well, wherever you are in your prayer life today, uh, I hope that you leave today more encouraged and more inspired to start or continue a conversation with God Uh, because I want you to have life and have it to the full. And I hope to show you today that prayer is a first thing in your pursuit of the best things in life. Well, today I want to explore three uh, particular reasons we should pray as followers of Jesus. And they kind of build on each other. The first two give a context to the third. And the third is is where the real power uh, of this message is. The first thing is that prayer changes us. Prayer changes us. And I think this is such a hard teaching in our world because our world, our culture around us teaches us that actually we have the truth in ourselves, uh, that what we feel is what we ought to do. Um, We hear things like, you do you, do whatever you feel. And so in our culture, the idea of of going to an outside source, uh, to an invisible God, and asking him to change us and inform us seems odd. 
in our culture. But this is an ancient idea and the Apostle Paul talks about his experience of prayer changing him in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses seven through nine. I'm gonna read this briefly. He says, even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Well, three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. And each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Now, we don't know what the thorn in Paul's flesh was. We just know that it was a circumstance or a physical affliction. There was something in his life that he wanted to go away, something that he didn't choose for himself. And three times, at least, this passage tells us he went to God and the text says that he begged God to take this, whatever this thing was, from him. And so we imagine this is over a protracted period of time as Paul is wrestling with this affliction in his life. And I'm imagining wrestling with his relationship with Jesus. And I think in this, sometimes we, we view people in the Bible as like way higher than we are, uh, people we can't relate to. But I think Paul is someone who we can very much relate to. And if you're a person who's, who's maybe struggled or is currently struggling with something in your life, and, and maybe you relate to Paul's language because maybe you're begging God for something, and, and maybe God, like he did with the Apostle Paul, isn't answering you in the way that you wanted because it says three times that he begged the Lord to take this affliction away. And each time, God responded the same way. He said, my grace is all you need because my power works best in weakness. It's not the message that we want to hear, but it's the message that we often need to know that God can do amazing things in and through us despite our weaknesses, that he doesn't have to always line things up the way that we want in order to use us, in order for our lives to count, in order for us to have joy and fulfillment. The, the last line in this text is the most powerful. It says, so now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. So now I am glad to boast so, so he moves from begging God to remove something to boasting in his weakness because he recognizes that the power of Christ can work through him. What, what's happening here is that sometimes God asks us to remain in a painful circumstance despite our pleas for relief and he does so because he loves us, because he's for us and like the Apostle Paul so that his power can work through our pain and our weakness. You see, friends, what happens in this passage is something I think that God often wants to do in our own life is that he, he's not gonna change your circumstance, but he might change your perspective, change your attitude, and ultimately change your desire. You may have heard uh, the Psalm, Psalm 37, four, which says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. And, and sometimes that passage is misinterpreted that you know if you follow Jesus, that he just will, will give you what you want. There's a line of, of teaching called the prosperity gospel that, that teaches that and that's false teaching. That's not the meaning of this passage. The meaning of this passage is, is like the circumstance with Paul is that if we delight in the Lord, if we seek him, if we recognize his right place of authority in our life, and then we go to him continually with our request. What he does is that he changes us, that he gives 
us his desires, that he puts his desires in our hearts. So maybe this part of the teaching might be the most powerful for some of you today because maybe some of you are wrestling with something that you're begging God to change and God's not answering the way that you want, but maybe what he wants to do is to change your desire, to change your orientation. Well, I wanna tell you a quick story uh, of a time in my own life, pretty recently actually, uh, where God profoundly changed my desire and subsequently changed uh, my life trajectory in some ways. Uh, you see, almost one year ago, our senior pastor, Chris Payne, was um, on his annual trip in South Dakota. And when he returned, he returned with a question for me. And at the time, I was serving as a consultant, living in Greenville, South Carolina, and traveling a couple of times a week uh, up to Charlotte. And I was helping kind of with change management and de develop some of the leaders here on staff. And so when Chris came back from his trip, he, he went on a walk with me around the property, which is something he, he likes to do. And I remember we were at the, the bottom of the hill on the backside of the property on this walk. And he asked me this question. He said, would you consider joining our staff as a full-time pastor? And uh, that wasn't a new question. He had asked me that uh, throughout the several years I had been working with the church at various points. And each time my answer was the same, no, no. And, and I had good reason. Uh, you see, we were living in Greenville and uh, my daughter Madeline was in a good school. We thought things were going well for her there. We had just bought a new home uh, my wife, Janet, was, was running a thriving real estate business, and, and my consulting practice was just starting to take off. You see, in that context, a move and a job change just didn't make any sense to me, and so my answer was a resolute no. And so Chris uh, listened to all my reasons to say no, said he understood, but then he paused and asked if I'd be willing to pray about it anyway. Thanks, Chris. How could I say no to my pastor uh, asking me to pray about something? So I reluctantly agreed. And the next day I drove back to Greenville and I, I took this request to Janet. And we set out on our porch, which is kind of where all the family business happens. And I, I described the in, entire uh, exchange with Chris and her immediate resolute answer was no. No, Gabe, no. Why would we even consider something like this when life is going so well? But when I said, Chris has asked us to pray about this, like me, she nevertheless agreed. And, and, and we agreed to take the next 40 days to pray together. And, and to be honest with you, I'd never done something like that before. Um, even as a pastor, somebody that's been in ministry a long time, I'd never taken 40 days intentionally to pray through um, something. I don't think there's something magical about 40 days, though that's a paradigm that does show up in the scriptures, but I do think it's a sufficient amount of time to process something. It's a sufficient amount of time for all my own thoughts and ideas to be circulated throughout my head, to have conversations, and most importantly, to be silent and to be quiet and to listen. So we agreed to this 40-day journey together, and we also agreed that we wouldn't tell our daughter Madeline who um, is sitting on the front row right here and has vetted this story and approved it. Um, 
but we wouldn't tell Madeline anything about the opportunity. You see, we didn't want to disrupt her life. We thought her life is going so well. Uh, if you know other parts of our stories, we, uh, when she was five years old, we sold everything, moved to Cape Town, South Africa, served as missionaries. And then when she was 10 years old, moved all the way back to Greenville. And so her life had been full of moves and disruptions and she had finally settled in a new home and a great school. And so we didn't want to disrupt her world. And so, uh, unbeknownst to me, Janet also gave God one condition, and, and she'd never done this before. And I'm not sure I recommend this, by the way. I'm just saying this is what happened. This is the story. So, I didn't know about this. Later, I found out Janet uh, gave God this condition. And, and see, she had to be certain this wasn't Chris's idea. As much as she likes Chris and respects him, uprooting our life, disrupting our family wasn't something she was willing to follow Chris in. And she also, most importantly, had to make sure it wasn't Gabe's idea. You see, I'm an idea person. Janet says, I wake up with nine ideas before breakfast. You should absolutely never do eight of them. Um, And so wanted to make sure this is not Gabe's idea. She needed to for sure know this is God's idea and God's direction for our life. And so... Um, she told God that if this, if this was his will for us, that Madeline would need to come to us and ask to move without knowing anything about the circumstance. Seems like an impossible request. Seems like Janet's maybe teeing things up to go our way. But God, about 10 days into our prayer journey, I was in Charlotte when Janet called from Greenville and she was sobbing what's wrong, I asked, and she began to tell me that Madeline had come home from school and asked if there was a chance that we could move. We couldn't believe it. It was one of those rare moments in your life when you realize, I'm praying and someone's listening. And it was hard. And so, Um, While Janet and I were settling into our comfortable life in Greenville, Madeline had been praying. And while she had this growing sense that her school just wasn't the right environment for for her anymore. You see, for months, Madeline had been secretly praying for God to move something, anything to change her life. And God answered our prayer and for her and hers. And for Madeline, it was an answer she had been waiting for. And for Janet and I, it was an answer that would disrupt our lives, alter our plans and move us in a new life direction. Well, we decided to keep praying to finish our 40 days, this time inviting Madeline uh, into the journey, something also we had never done before. I want to acknowledge something before you as a pastor. I'm terrible at leading my family in prayer. I am. And, and maybe, you know, I want to speak to some of you guys that maybe struggle in that same way. Maybe you feel weak in that area of leadership. And I just want to say, I identify with you. It's tough. It's tough. Sometimes the hardest place to lead spiritually is with the people that are closest to you. Because that's the people who know you. Who know your brokenness most profoundly. But I also want to encourage you that it's worth it. That when you do lead your family in an intentional way like that, God does show up. And so we finished the rest of the 40 days of prayer and I also did something I'd never done before. I said, guys, at the end of the 40 days, we're gonna vote and it has to be unanimous because I don't want this to be my idea. I don't want this to be Chris's idea. And so at the end of the 40 days, we sat in our living room, we cast our votes and it was unanimous. We were moving to Charlotte. And so here we are. 
Why I pray? Because God changes us. Doesn't always change our circumstances. Sometimes he does. But he often changes our desires and the things that we want so that we're in alignment with him. And that's a beautiful thing. Well, the second reason that we should pray is because prayer helps us to know God. Prayer helps us to know God. And some of you might say, well, I thought we, I thought we got to know God through reading the scriptures, and we do. We do get to know God as we read the scriptures. But, you know, there's something about the way that people, and especially adults, learn is that uh, we have to viscerally experience knowledge for it to get deep in our hearts and our lives to transform and change us. And I, I, wanna, I wanna submit to you that prayer is a discipline that helps you connect things that you read and hear um, to your actual life and your heart. And so it helps us to know God, not just know him here, but to know him here. And um, because when we pray, something happens and we remember God's character and love. And this is um, most profoundly seen in the Psalms, which the Psalms are a collection of poems um, and really they're prayers. Tim Keller wrote a book called The Prayers of Jesus and it's really just uh, the Psalms. He said, you know, when, when the scriptures talk about Jesus praying, most often what we should realize is he was praying the Psalms that, that he had memorized. And um, lots of the Psalms were written by David in the course of his life and his journey and he had a difficult journey and he prayed along the way, which is something also I wanna highlight just as a discipline that maybe if you struggle to pray, um, maybe you struggle to set apart time, a way to pray is a way that David prayed in a way that Jesus prayed so you're in good company is pray along the way in your journey. Pray as you're driving, pray as you're walking, um, pray as you're sitting down to have a conversation. Pray all the time these short prayers because those were the prayers of David and the Psalms, and then the prayers of Jesus. I want to highlight Psalm 63, verses 1 through 8, just as one example of, of what this can look like. Chris mentioned last week that also one way to pray is just to pray the scriptures, that you don't have to be creative and inventive, and maybe for some of you, you don't have a history in the church, and maybe you feel uncomfortable praying because you say, well, my words aren't eloquent. I don't know what to say. You don't need to know what to say. It's written for you. You can pray the same prayers that Jesus prayed. Psalm 63, one through eight is a prayer that says this, oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and your glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praise you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night because you are my helper. I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your strong right hand holds me securely. And that was a prayer along the way in life that David prayed. It's a prayer along the way in life that you can pray. And in that prayer, uh, we're reassured of who God is. And I want to highlight a few things just in that short, simple prayer that we learn about God's character and his love. Number one, oh God, you are my God. We learn that God is God. Guess what else we learn? We aren't God. We aren't God. That, that garbage that our culture teaches us that the answer is in you, that you need to trust your heart, you need to lean into your feelings, false lies. God is God and we aren't. We need to be reminded of that. Uh, 
the psalmist talks about being, it's this picture of a dry land, there's no water, there's no food, and we're reminded that it's only God who can truly satisfy us, that the things of this world can't ultimately satisfy us, and how often are we lulled into a sense that we can be satisfied by the things of this world, by a job, by money, by a house, by a relationship, But it is only God who can truly satisfy us. And as we pray along the way of our journey, these truths, they get deep in our heart and maybe we just start believing and operating out of them. Verse seven, because you are my helper, God is our helper. Can you imagine that? The God who spoke creation into existence, who created every person on earth, says you should think of him as your helper. What a profound prayer on the journey of our struggle. And finally, I cling to you. Your strong right hand holds me securely. God is our protector. God protects us. So why should we pray? Because prayer changes us. Secondly, because prayer helps us to know know who God is. Not just to know it here, but to know it here. So that as we experience life, we profoundly understand who God is and how he shows up in our life. Well, thirdly and finally, and most powerfully, prayer appropriates or more simply put, unlocks God's power for our lives. Prayer unlocks God's power for our lives. And I wanna direct our attention to a passage that before I studied for today, I didn't think of this passage as a passage on prayer, but it's exactly that. It's a passage that hinges on prayer. And I just wanna read this out loud for you. This is Jesus, and this is his farewell discourse at the end of his ministry. He's getting ready to go to the cross, and he's giving final teaching to his disciples, and the apostle John records it this way. Jesus says, yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my father. I have loved you even as the father has loved me. Remain in my love. And when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my father's commandments and remain in his love, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Some context for this passage, uh, throughout the Old Testament, one of the metaphors for Israel, for God's people, was the vine, that they were were like a vineyard, um, and they were described that way because they were supposed to produce the fruit of, of God's kingdom that would influence the whole world, that would change the whole world. But continually in the Old Testament, the vine is described as a fruitless vine, a dying vine, a vine that can't produce the kind of fruit that's pleasing to God. And so in this passage, Jesus radically changes what the disciples think about vines. And he says, it's not Israel this tribe of people who've failed God for centuries who are the vine, he says, I am the vine. And so imagine standing in a vineyard, maybe some of you have been in a vineyard. We used to live amongst vineyards in South Africa. They're beautiful. And the the best vines are these gnarly um, pieces of wood that are deeply rooted in the soil. And then they produce these small tentacles, these branches, and that's where the grapes come off of those, those branches. 
But what's obvious when you're staring at a grapevine is, is that if you, cut the, if you cut the vine at the base, there will be no fruit at the top. The, the branches can't produce grapes. Uh, they are useless on their own. So Jesus says, I'm the vine. I am the source of life. All life flows from the Father through me into you. You are the branches. And as long as you stay connected to me, you have life and you have it to the full. But if you become disconnected from me, you're worthless. You're dead. And we know that's the power of the gospel that life comes from our connection to Jesus. And so what we learn about prayer here is that uh, prayer, the most powerful prayer, the way we are meant to pray, um, has some conditions that need to come before it. Just like putting that Meerschaum uh, pipe into the lock in National Treasure first, the key has to have connection with the lock in the same way we have to have right connection to Jesus. Uh, we have to understand that he is the master, that he is in charge of all things. And when we have that right connection with him, uh, we see in this passage that there's fruit that comes when we're connected with Jesus. Well, what is that fruit? Sometimes this passage has been interpreted as the fruit is that you make disciples, that you go and you tell other people about Jesus. And that's true, but it's not complete. You see, when we're rightly connected to Jesus, um, everything that's the product of effective prayer in Jesus' name, including obedience to his commands in verse 10. So when, when we're connected to Jesus and when we pray, what is the fruit that comes of that prayer? The first thing is obedience. How many of you are frustrated because you can't follow Jesus the way that you want? You continually fail. I'll raise my hand every day, every day. Do things I don't wanna do. Sin against people I love. And yet, when we pray in Jesus' name, when we're rightly connected to him, understanding life flows through him, one part of that fruit is obedience, that he gives us a supernatural ability to be obedient to what he tells us to do. Secondly, verse 11, that we can experience Jesus' joy, that a fruit of being connected with Jesus is his joy. And maybe that's where some of you are today. You're, you're depressed um, you're without joy in your life and maybe you're striving and you're trying to line things up in your life. You're trying to connect yourself to all these different things, but the, 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 the treasure is right in your hand. The key is right in your hand. It's not in all your activities. It's not in all your striving. It's not in making your life perfect and getting everything lined up in the way you imagine. All it is, is that connection to Jesus that turns the lock and opens this treasure of joy Jesus' joy. Thirdly, part of the fruit that we experience when we're connected rightly with Jesus and we pray is love for one another. How many of you are struggling with that? Some of my worst moments are when I'm out of good relationship with people I'm close to. And, and pain comes from that, right? Discord, um, dissatisfaction. But what we're told here is that when we're connected to Jesus and we see him as the vine and we're the branches, part of that fruit is that we can have love for one another, not because you strive and you're really good at loving, but simply because you're connected to Jesus. And then lastly, verses 16 and 27, is that um, part of the fruit is our witness to the world, that we bear witness to the world when we're connected to him. We can't help it. We talk about him. We want other people to know about him. So when we're connected to Jesus, 
There's all kinds of amazing fruit that flows out of that. So what a powerful prayer that we pray. What a powerful prayer when we ask in Jesus' name, when we're connected to him, the things we ask for, for obedience and joy and love for people and purpose in our life. Secondly, uh, the context of praying in this passage is alignment, that we're called to have our life in alignment with the life of Jesus. He says, abide in me and my words abide in you. What would it look like if the words of Jesus were the first things on your mind when you woke up in the morning and the last things when you went to bed? That sort of alignment in your life that when we're not only just connected with Jesus in prayer, but our obedience is such that we're in alignment with him in our thoughts and we're in alignment with him in our actions. And the more and more we're in alignment, again, not because of our efforts, but because of our connection to him, when our, that alignment happens, it's like the tumblers in the key, chung, 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 falling into place. And then the lock opens to the treasure. So finally, after we're connected and we're aligned, then we request. And when we request out of a position of connection and alignment, he says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. The key is right in your hand. You've been carrying it all along your journey. And so I wanna to submit to you today that the answer to confusion, lack of purpose, lack of joy, understanding, wisdom, what to do next in life, how to stay married, how to be a parent, what to do with that nagging longing that won't go away, what to do with suffering, pain, loss, and sorrow, the key to navigating everything in your life is connection to Jesus. Connection, alignment, and then request in his power is unleashed in your life and he takes you where he wants you to go and it's beautiful and joyful and good. You see, my friends, you were made for a relationship with Jesus. You were made to be his, to have his life flowing through yours and he wants to hear from you today. To Christ be the glory, amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the vine that life truly flows from you and through you to us. Lord, would you help us today, each one of us here, wherever we are in our life, whatever we're struggling with today, Lord, would you meet us in the place where we are? Would you help us, Lord, by your power to be connected to you, to cry out to you in our pain, our suffering, our sorrow, whatever place we find ourselves, Lord? And Lord, we pray that your will would be accomplished in us, that you would make us obedient and loving and joyful, and Lord, that you would multiply your kingdom through us. We love you, Lord. We thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.